Hi there again. I'm Neil Melanson on the Twyla After Show. Joining me, of course, is Carl Wiggers, our co-producer and the main guy driving this podcast, really, if, if you really want to know the truth. Hey, Avery Davidson and Kristen Oaks are the co-host of Twyla. Thanks, all of you, for joining us. And on this show... We've got a lot of critters. On yeah, the we show do. This week. <laughs> it is it a is lot a of biting, field. stinging, uh, really just stuff you don't want to deal with in a dark alley kind, kind of stuff. But <laughs> more ways but, than one. Yeah, <laughs> me especially. Uh, but first off, let's start, I guess, with Avery. You did a story on CNM Alligator Farm. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a really neat place that's over off of uh, LA 42 in Livingston Parish, uh, south of Holden. You would drive right by this place if you didn't know that's what it was. In fact, uh, I I almost did. But it's really neat. It was they're going through the hatching process right now, which they only do that for about two three weeks. They're going to hatch about thirty five thousand eggs. Unbelievable. And they have all of these in their incubators right now, and it's it's so cool. You you. They pull out the tray, and sometimes you'll see a little nose poking out. Sometimes you won't. But even if they don't, they'll, if they can tell if the alligator inside is alive and well, they pick it up, crack it, open it up, and put an alligator so, ready to grow. So they actually hatch, like, like crack them like a, an egg you would cook in the kitchen? Closer I to mean, the way you'd boil, uh, peel a boiled egg. Okay, okay. You don't boil a peeled egg, you peel, peel a boiled egg. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, that's, that, yeah, that's kind of what they do. They go ahead and they, they'll hit it and peel away the hard shell. It's not as leathery uh, mm-hmm. at this point. It's, it's pretty much calcified all the way around. They, the way they can tell if the egg is viable when they go get them out in the wild is there'll be a band around the middle. And they'll see a white dot where the embryo is actually attached. And so that's how they know that's the egg to take from the Mm. nest. Now, that said, sometimes mama is at the nest. I was about to say, I don't want that job of stealing a mother alligator's... What I did not show in the story was that one Kristen Wall, former FFA state president, had gotten bitten by one of the mama gators while she was at the nest. And she has... Four on uh, so it's eight total uh, little purple scars where the teeth went into her calf. Hmm. I must say I'm going to get ahead of ourselves, but I would much rather the scars or the the bites <laughs> that Neil got than versus that. That sounds terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're talking about you know hatching these eggs. How much? I mean, how many eggs do they harvest? So they go out and they get about forty thousand eggs. Um, only about 35,000 are going to actually make it all the way through. Not every egg is going to be perfectly fertilized. There might be some problems with the egg itself or the embryo to where it just it doesn't become a viable alligator. But what's really cool is every egg that they get that is able to hatch and live gets to become a mature alligator out in the wild. Right. I was going to ask you about that because normally when we think about wildlife and human interaction, we think negative. But mm-hmm. in this case, there is actually um, they're much, much more likely to survive in human hands than they do out in the wild. Is that right? I'm going to go ahead and throw some Avery Davidson personal opinion in here. I think if it weren't for the alligator farming industry in this state, we would still have the American alligator listed as an endangered species in Louisiana. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I, that's I firmly believe anything that. fact, really. Because what they do is they take 
all of these alligator eggs. Make sure as many of them hatch as possible under optimal conditions. They even set the temperature to ensure that they get a good mix of male and female because it's the temperature of the egg while the embryo is forming that determines the sex of the alligator. Mm -hmm. That's the case with a lot of reptiles. But they then take what would have survived out in the wild 10% and release that back out. So if they have 35,000 alligators that they're able to raise, 3,500 from that farm alone get released back into the wild as a yearling. That's the size of what would have been a five-year-old alligator in the wild. That's the other thing. In the farm, they're getting fed well. So after a year, a wild alligator is only going to be, oh, maybe about a foot long at most. They're getting them up to four feet long in one year. Yeah, and at that point, they can survive on their own. Yeah, find me the predator that's going to go for one of those other than a human. Right. Yeah, that's that's fascinating, and uh, you know that that is that it really does get into the animal husbandry of it all. They have to factor in all of those things with each and every one of these farms as they do it. And as you said, releasing that many gators into the wild, they're really doing a, a good job, a yeoman's job of repopulating because it's it's not just that it's 10% of those, but 10% of viable, healthy gators that, that have a strong chance of surviving. Yeah, these are gators that aren't going to get eaten by birds. These are alligators that are not going to suddenly just not be able to make it because they're not strong enough. All of these are strong, healthy, able to mate alligators mm -hmm. that are going to continue the population in the wild. So even though, yes, they're going out and they're collecting 40,000 eggs from the wild, what they're putting back in more than what would have survived naturally. Over time, I mean, has the population grown? I mean, obviously, oh, yeah. it's off the endangered species list. When when we were kids, they were endangered, mm -hmm. right? Yep. I, and that that has changed radically. They're they're having it's necessary for them to be hunted yeah. now. I'd love to take you out to Rockefeller Reserve. Yeah. That was one place where even when I was a kid, and they were still kind of bordering on endangered, where my dad and I would be in the boat and we would be surrounded by alligators uh, when we were fishing for redfish. We, I remember we'd reel in the, we were using those big bobbers that have the orange tops. We'd reel those in and the alligators would come for the bobbers and my dad hooked one in the belly and oh. he was like, I'm going to see how far I can bring this one in. He reels it in slowly, reels it in slowly, reels it in slowly, gets it about a foot away from the boat. And mind you, this is about a four and a half foot alligator. You know, not too big, but big enough to where if it bit you, it hurt, it hurt a little bit. And he finally said, all right, that's close enough. And he cut the line. And then we could see everywhere that alligator went because that bobber was still stuck to him. <laughs> that's wild. Well, expanding on one thing before we leave this topic, mm -hmm. something else that's been in the news a lot lately. Would you rather be bit by one of these alligators or a shark? Ooh, you know, I'm going to go ahead. It depends on what kind of shark. So you tell me the species Can't of shark. Can't the question. No, no, Can't because if question. it's a lemon shark, yeah, I'd, I'll take the lemon shark because it's going to bite and it's going to spit me out and I'm just going to have some cuts. An alligator is going to bite and possibly roll, which will yeah. then break things. So, but if you're saying great white, I'll take alligator over <laughs> great white because the great white, while it is only going to bite and spit me out, it's going to do a heck of a lot more damage. Just made me think of when you said the, the FFA officer that had the bruises on her leg, little girl, it's mm -hmm. like in Myrtle Beach or somewhere, no, somewhere in Florida, wherever they're mm -hmm. having a 
extremely large amount of shark bites that are right on the beach. Don't say that. I got a beach trip coming up soon. Well, well <laughs> bring an alligator. He'll chase away the uh, yeah the the sharks. Mm, yeah. no, but the bigger question is: Would you rather be bitten by an alligator or stung by a hornet? That's the question. Right now, I take bitten, getting bitten, bitten by an alligator. I was about to say, I might take the alligator over there. Uh, I got stung about six or seven times on my shoot yesterday, and uh, right now <laughs> I am extremely sore in the legs. It was worth it, though. It was a fun shoot. We went out. Uh, Jude Verrett had, uh, runs an exterminating company, and he got he ran across some guy in a store who said, hey, I got some bees in my car. And so... <laughs> Uh, Jude was, you know, noticeably skeptical uh, about that. And so he said, I think they're probably wasps if they built a nest and all that. He said, no, they're bees. So they went out there and Jude looked. And sure enough, in the Chevy Malibu out in the middle of the woods behind this guy's trailer, it was a southern yellow jacket nest that was built in on the passenger side in the front. Okay, that's how it started. Yesterday, as we went out there to film, it had taken over. It had gone into the back seat and had already built into some of the driver's side. And it hadn't gotten completely in the driver's side because Jude left the window open. So some of the moisture they didn't like for their, their paper nest but uh were it not for that i think that whole car would have been filled i was about to say from the video that i saw uh mm-hmm. it doesn't look like that guy's been driving that car anytime in the recent no. past jude he, jude was telling us he tried to buy that car from from him and uh the guy refused because he thinks he can salvage it and i mean uh, when you look look at that video again <laughs> look again at that video because there's nest in the air conditioning ducts the whole thing is a nest. Yeah, it's the like whole one thing giant is, yeah. encapsulated nest. Right. It yeah. is that 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 is not his car anymore. That is that that belongs to the Yellow, Yellow Jacket USA. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, you sort of talked in the story about where you were getting stung, but you didn't say all of it. Yeah, so I let's see every... talk us. Let's talk us through sitting down the experience of putting your butt on mm-hmm. one of the entrances to said nest. Mm-hmm. That feeling of having things probably buzzing under your your cheeks down there, and that you voluntarily did this. <laughs> yes, I volunteered. You voluntarily to do it. got in. Yeah, yeah, I did. Anything for the story. As I was getting into the car, before right before you can hear it on the on the film, Jude says, "Now get in quick so you don't sit on too many of them," which I did. But I think by the time I opened the door, they got really mad and got up from that that thing. So I didn't sit on any of them, but. Almost as soon as I sat down, I got stung on the right knee. Mm. And they found apparently a vulnerable spot down by my ankles, right above my boot. I had, now, keep in mind, I had on my boots, two pairs of socks, and the pants that I was wearing, and the bee suit. And they were all in there. And they stung me through that. And it didn't, you could feel the difference. Remember I did that story earlier uh, about with Jude and the the tiny yellow jacket nest in that wood pile. And I got stung when one crawled up my, my glove and stung me bare on the finger. And when that happened, it felt like a what I would imagine a gunshot would be like. That's what they describe it as, feeling like a gunshot. This wasn't quite as painful. So when I got stung on the knee and whatnot, it wasn't it was more like a like a small bee sting or, or you know, a really bad mosquito bite. But well, it, it was crazy to see. I followed you. I, I was with yeah, Neil you were on the there. shoot. And Did you volunteer to go on this? For, to I was shoot asked, but I didn't question. I was like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> and and I didn't do any research. You can tell this because as we're re- we're following Jude out to uh, the location where the car was, and I'm starting to like read up on this, like because it's a viral video. That's how we, Neil found it. 
It's already got like 300,000 views on YouTube, yeah. uh, which is the Jude Verrett way, apparently, because he's got views out the you know wazoo. Mm-hmm. But I start reading up on one of these articles where somebody, some news agency had shared about it, and it's like got a quote from Jude saying, it feels like a, feels like a gunshot when you get stung. It, you know, the venom could kill you. And yeah. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm, I, I am going to have a suit, right? And I'm like starting to second guess as we're almost there. But uh, what was crazy, though, following Neil around, you know, was, you know, he talks about the vulnerable spot. They found that spot on his ankles. He had, so his um, his B suit was down the way they, and, and Jude pulled the socks over the B suit at the ankle. And that sock, that few inches of sock that was exposed above the boots were just covered in oh. yellow jackets. Wow. Just like all you could see was yellow jackets, even when we were. You were know, the socks white? Yeah, there were white socks. But the bee suits white. The bee suits white. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Is but what, what was different about that? They just found that particular vulnerable spot, and I think what happened is because the it was tucked into my boot, it was all bunched around that entrance, and so my body heat was closer to the surface, yeah. and so they found that spot and and went after Man, it. They to, were all over your ankles, though. I was just it, it hurt. It hurts actually standing here right now. The skin is inflamed <laughs> and stretching, and it's it's hard to to deal. But it 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 um it it's not i'm not the reason i got out of there so quickly uh mm-hmm. was because if you do take many stings from them it you can go into anaphylactic shock even if you're not allergic because of yeah. their the potency of well, them well i'll have to give you credit where credit's due that i watched the video you very calmly just got stung stung on my butt <laughs> yeah one on my leg uh, yeah one just got me in my arm there's no way that i could have been that calm no yeah. I, I said I the same freaked thing out videoing i said neil i'm really glad that you were the one <laughs> They got stung because I would have been worthless to you after I got if I got stung because your video would have been just crap after after I was stung. Well, I, I'm glad since I asked you along to film that you didn't get stung. I would have felt I, the guilt would have been worse than these these stings. But it's it, it, to me it's a great story because it it really shows that um, when you get up close to them. I mean, yellow jackets, of course, everybody grew up in the South knows about them. If you've run across them in a cow field, you know you know that 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 ends your day right there. You're running for for the the worst, right? They are Sting one of the wise? worst. They are probably the worst. I think a bullet ant is probably mm-hmm. the most severe insect sting, but they're way, way red, on A red up wasp there. might be comparable. It uh-huh. could be, but the, the whole thing about it is they're not really that aggressive. And that's that's the interesting thing is that every time they've got all these stories about how bad they are because most of the time people run across their nest in the ground and they come up boots and they're on you before you can do anything. Hmm. But if you don't mess with their nest, we got right up close to that car. In fact, Jude, you can see, walks up without a bee suit on and walks right up to the, the car and looks he's in. He's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's used to it and he yeah. doesn't. He's he a doesn't, professional. He's, he's a like professional. A right, yes. One he, thing also, uh, before, Jude was um, even like impressed and kind of like a little bit concerned about you. Neil, to get yeah. to get the yellow jackets off of you, you walk through trees, through brush, bushes, and it mm-hmm. kind of, it knocks them off of you physically, but it also kind of throws their trail and neil had to walk you had to walk for what 100 yards probably to get all of them off of you yeah kind of (laughs) i did i had to walk to the other end of the the lot there and 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 they were still one was still buzzing around me and while while you were doing that though jude was like man i can't believe he got stung by six or seven you know yellow jackets he was was concerned and i was like he said he's gonna need some tylenol later (laughs) (laughs) but 
I'd say the fact that you remained so calm was probably the reason you didn't get stung more than that. I don't know if right. they're like bees that they... It's And Jude gave me great advice about keep moving. And that's the thing. If you ever run across yellow jackets, it's, you know, do not pass go. Report directly to the furthest point away from where you are. Yeah. Just run and run as fast as you can. And don't stop until you do not hear their buzzing See, because they are vindictive. The one thing that I wish we could show right now or mm -hmm. like in the story is the equipment that Carl had mm -hmm. that got stung like you wouldn't believe. So a GoPro and a tripod with rubber grips mm -hmm. and just covered in stingers. It's that GoPro right there that we're, oh, filming. That right there? we're filming some of this podcast right now. And that GoPro still got has stingers and venom. I had to wipe <laughs> the lens with the venom juice that was just all over they it. They were covering the backseat of that mm -hmm. car, it's too. It's nuts. And that's the one thing we can tell you that's difficult to, that's impossible to replicate in these forums is the smell. There's mm. a distinctive smell, this sickly sweet sort of uh, musky scent from when they, they can. And they're, it's very distinctive. It doesn't smell like anything else. It smells like yellow jacket venom. And and he saw as soon as, I mean, as soon as they came out of the car window, before I ever got in, you could start smelling it mm. as they were stinging the yeah, camera. As soon as we got to the window, you can kind of start to. At first, I thought it was an old musty car smell because it's an right. old musty car. But. <laughs> Jude, as soon as I kind of started to notice it, Jude said, you smell that. And I was like, oh, that must be. And we started talking about it. And it's, it's a, I kind of called it a sweet, musty smell. Yeah, sure. It's, it's but somewhere. In, it's indescribable. It's very, very unique. I hope I never smell it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you do. You, you do if, hope that you don't ever what, smell if it. If that smell is associated with that size hive, I don't want to ever smell it either. But uh, I'm not getting in a car with bees or so yellow jackets ever, <laughs> ever again. <laughs> well, let's move on to something nicer, pretty flowers. This week's uh, show is Blooming on the Bayou. And, Kristen, uh, you went uh, once again to the um, Burden Research Station. Is that right? The Bur the LSU Ag Center Botanic Gardens at Burden is the official name. Got it. And it's just they're so – it's such a beautiful place, and they've got so many diverse areas to shoot. It's hard to – to find somewhere else that's better and more hospitable than that place. It's a great background for the Master Gardener program, and it that's is. something you looked into this well, week. Well, I was going to say, the, the the stories that we've talked about, this is a good example of three stories of non-traditional agriculture. And last week, last week, we had such a, a very traditional agriculture show, so it's refreshing to talk about something different. But the Master Gardener program is uh, put on through the LSU Ag Center, and it anybody who has an interest in gardening, whether you're starting a vegetable garden for the first time or you're you know maybe a landscape architecture that hadn't had your master gardener certification this program gives you the education they start off in with classwork learning about horticulture topics you know they've got experts from the ag center researchers that share their the wealth of their knowledge that you know maybe through some of their research that they've done or you know just their knowledge from their education but they share that with the people participating in the course and so you you get all of this knowledge and training and then the goal of it is to then go out and kind of give it back to people either in your community um, other gardeners and so it's it's learning but also sharing that knowledge and then volunteering so volunteer work is part of the uh, coursework and she said that that was a way you know the cost is minimal but that's part of how you pay back is that you have to do 40 hours of volunteer services through the program your first year and then 20 each year after that to stay 
in the Master Gardener program. So it's kind of, to me, the whole time when they were talking about it and explaining the different aspects of the program, it's it, it's full circle because you learn, but then you also give back and share to other people who then go and do the same thing. So um, it's it's a great program. I wish I had more time to, you know, so that I could spend to participate in the program. But you know they do a plant sale every year they the the, my favorite thing to talk about was the volunteer aspect of it because they help with school gardens they help schools that might not have school gardens and at you know farm to school programs they help build those gardens and they help you know consult them on how to keep them growing and healthy and so they go to libraries and they set up at farmer's market a booth you can bring my plant is yellow and it's dead what can i do and so (laughs) they've got people there that are you know volunteers and experts that can help you answer these questions they also have different um chapters or groups throughout the state right yeah just about every well they've got one in every corner of the state i'd Mm -hmm. say and most parishes have their own yeah a lot of a lot of parishes in the state have their own what i've seen back home in winsboro is like the master gardeners over in West Monroe, I think they're pretty active in West yes. Monroe, but they, they'll take like an adopt a, a street corner or something and right. really beautify mm-hmm. kind of the community with their, you know, their talents. And that kind of goes in, that's community service hours, right? I mean, right, it is. And, and it's awesome benefit. And then they also, they do a lot of work at Burden to keep Burden beautiful because they, well, mm-hmm. they see the value that um, that people from all walks of life in urban areas, come and they said get off the sidewalk and come into Burden and visit it. And so they want to keep it as beautiful and as healthy as possible to keep educating people and, you know, spreading garden love. And what's really cool about Burden is it is right there off of one of the busiest streets yes. in Baton Rouge. Absolutely. For those of you who are outside of Baton Rouge and don't know the city very well, it's on Essen Lane, right near Our Lady of the Lake Hospital. I mm-hmm. mean, you're talking about. The health district is right there. You have ambulances and every other bit of traffic. A lot There's of restaurants. Been, yeah, a lot of restaurants well, there. Well, the interstate bisects the land. Right. Mm-hmm. So you've got this beautiful oasis of tranquility right in the middle of the hustle and bustle. It's really cool. And I did find, I was looking for, so you know, we, we've got the interviews with them that we shot that day, but I was trying to find some I've shot things with Master Gardeners in the past, and I was trying to just looking for some supplemental video to use. I did not know. I knew the video, the story that you did, but the video with um, the therapeutic. Uh, yes, the Master Gardeners. That was yeah. their program. That was one of their service activities. Bring in it. Te- well, that was at our Lady Children's yeah. Hospital, um, and the Master Gardeners go uh, every so often to visit the children who are in there for long term care, and. It helps with the treatment for them to be able to uh, work with plants. And so they actually get special sterilized soil to bring in to make sure they're not bringing any any harmful pathogens. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's part of their volunteers. It, it's, it goes to show just how much the LSU Ag Center really does for this state across the board. And no doubt. It's important for those of us who deal with pro- production agriculture on a daily basis, but it impacts the lives of every man, woman, and child because it's helping out in hospitals. It's helping with the Master Gardener program. It really shows the importance of 4-H, of making sure we keep 
this extension and research funded. So there's my soapbox for a moment. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that aspect. One of the things that I really like about this job and working in agriculture is that community spirit that Kristen talked about. And when you do gardening, it's a microcosm of what farming is on a large scale, right? You have all the same issues to deal with. And you fertilizer. see the rewards of why people choose a career in it, too. Right. I mean, you, you make something and you can be proud of. You mm-hmm. know, even if it's the smallest cucumber, you grew that and it's yours and, and it's great. And on a large scale, you have that, that those same issues. But with the Master Gardener program, as with agriculture in the state, there's such a profound sense of community built around that because you have people who have common experiences, rewarding, fulfilling lifestyles that really, it's unfortunately uh, against what the, the flow of modern life. But if you slow down a bit and you devote, even if it's just a small garden, small herb garden, mm-hmm. something, you'll have that same reward and you can find these communities of people who are interested in the, in the very same thing. And they're oftentimes, you know, some of the, the lifelong friends, you'll make lifelong friends doing it and the best people, those 4-H people keep their friends all their life. And that's what the, that, that group of people, most of them are, I guess I assume that they would have large vegetable gardens, but these are people that just have, you know, a flower bed and want to learn more. So it was a diverse group of, of participants. And the cool thing is that's all just a click away now. Yes. You know, it used to be you'd have to know somebody to find out about it. You just go to lsuagcenter.com and it's all there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they'll fall all over themselves helping you. And we'll put it. We we've got a link on our website this for this week's show that has all the information you need to know about the Master Gardeners Association, and they have Facebook pages as well. Well, I know you're still. You've got to get out of here so you can go edit that piece for the show this week. <laughs> yeah. Actually, don't you? I thought Carl said he was going to do it for me. Yeah, Carl. What's what's up with that? Carl! I'm going to edit the show and let y'all edit y'all's packages. Mm. Okay. How's that sound? I think I'm going to go mm. home and take some more Benadryl. Actually, yeah, you, <laughs> that's, you're looking a little queasy. <laughs> All right. Well, that about does it for this Twilight After Show. I want to thank Kristen, Avery, and Carl, and uh, I'm Neil Malalson. Thanks for joining us, and hope to see you again next week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and even share it with a friend or two. Also, if you liked it, go ahead and leave us a review. Tell us what you think about the show. What would you like to hear more of? What do you not like that much? That's okay to hear, too. The Twilight After Show podcast is brought to you by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Louisiana Farm Bureau is the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you again right here next week.